temple on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? They entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Thank you, Catherine. Well, here's the logic. Uh, school starts, kids in school. School means germs. Germs means kids. I get kids germs, so I apologize for my voice and uh, uh, being a little bit of, uh, being a little bit sick here today. Um, but we'll pray that God sustains our time together as we continue in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Here we're in chapter 12. We'll take a look at that together. But first, let's pause and let's pray. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you uh, for this time. And even as we hear about you in this passage, we pray that you yourself would be present in these words, that you would show forth, even though we can't see you with eyes, that we would see you with the eyes of our hearts and receive you and be changed by you. Just even a glimpse of you by faith has power enough to transform our lives. So could you please give that to us? We pray in Christ's name, amen. As many of you know, I recently personally experienced different forms of exhaustion, even nearing the point of near burnout uh, just this past spring. And it's actually been a pattern in my life, not the first time that this sort of thing has happened. In many ways, I'm actually still in the process of recovery, and this church has been very extremely supportive and caring during this season. I'm extremely grateful. Thank you, friends. Thank you. So that either makes me either the best person or possibly the worst person to be addressing the focus of today's passage, which is the topic of rest. Rest. It appears through the language of Sabbath, a word that appears eight times throughout this passage, uh, which comes from an old ancient Hebrew word that means to stop or to cease, or to rest. Do you know that rest is an essential practice of Jesus' followers? It's why he's debating about it with those immediately around him. Now, you might notice the curious timing of this topic 
It's Labor Day week, Labor Day weekend, right? When our country historically has set aside time to recognize the value of our work. And today then we're talking about not working. Well, let's be clear. Our daily work is incredibly valuable in the eyes of God. Your work is valuable in the eyes of God, whatever it is. The Bible describes God himself as a worker, and so when we work, we're being like God himself. Using our God-given gifts and our energies and our loves in our daily work is, in fact, a part of being human, made in God's image. Our work, therefore, has inherent dignity, no matter what the work. It's one of the chief means by which God actually is bringing about his mission to renew the world through the work of the teacher, through the stay-at-home mom or dad's daily labors, through the musician, through the work of the front doorman or the lawyer or the dishwasher. We're called to work, and we're called to work diligently. The book of Proverbs extols diligence in our work. God calls us to work. And yet we find this also, the Bible is also very clear about this, that we would never work well unless we also learn to rest well. We'll never learn to work well if we don't also learn to rest well, and we'll never understand the place of work in the Christian life without also understanding the place of rest in the Christian life. So let's talk about rest. I'm going to look at this topic broadly in two parts this morning. First, the gift of rest, and then secondly, objections to rest. The gift of rest and objections to rest. Let's check it out. The gift of rest. Friends, rest is good. Let's start with the simple and maybe the most profound. Rest is good. And we start there because some of you, some of us don't really believe that. Uh, some of us only see rest as a necessary evil. You know, what I turned to when I couldn't get it done. Or maybe you see it as a sign of weakness. Or maybe you sort of shrug it off as best as you can, keep it at bay, because you only see it as an interruption to your glorious productivity. Myself, I come from an immigrant family, and so a hearty work ethic was very much instructed and modeled in my family. So I have a tendency to take on some of these negative views of rest. Others of us perhaps live in sort of habitual laziness, where you never really spend yourself on others or on your work. But you see, what you have isn't really even rest. It's just simply non-work. You yourself may not really know the goodness and the sweetness of rest. Rest is good. Look, Jesus is arguing with the Pharisees, the ancient religious leaders, the strictest religious leaders of his days. His hungry disciples plucked and ate some grain in the fields on the Sabbath, the day of rest. And Jesus healed a man with a disfigured and disabled hand also on the Sabbath. And so these Pharisees are accusing him of violating the Sabbath, of not caring at all about rest. God-given rest. 
But Jesus cares, you see. Throughout this passage, he's fighting, arguing to correctly define the practice of the Sabbath. He, he says in verse 8, he's Lord of the Sabbath. He, he, he created it. He made it. He regulates it. He's providing it. He's giving it. It's his, and it's now yours. He's fighting for your right to rest, don't you see? Because rest is a gift from God, and rest is good. We hear this echoed, of course, this value of rest in different places of Scripture. Like in Jeremiah 31, 25, where God promises, I will refresh the weary and satisfy the faint. Or curious places like in Psalm 127, where we're told God grants sleep to those he loves. It's a gift. Or even just a, a few paragraphs earlier in Matthew chapter 11 at the end, immediately before this passage, Jesus makes this incredible invitation. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Do, do you know a God like that? Who isn't simply demanding more from you, but who's promising generously promising to give you rest. You see, according to the Bible, this need for rest is built right into our very nature. And so if we refuse to rest, or if we're unable to rest, we actually violate our created design. And so not surprisingly, then we start to break down physically and emotionally, spiritually, mentally, in every way. Which is why God commands, yes, commands, for us to stop working. And that this command is, in fact, one of the greatest expressions of his love and care for us. Because he knows what we need. He knows what you need. God commands Sabbath, and it's for our good, because he loves us. Will you today receive his love? And so we really do need to stop. At least one day out of seven. To set aside a Sabbath day for the replenishment of our body and our soul. Christians traditionally practice that on, on Sunday. The American tradition, of course, is to have days off from work on Saturday and Sunday. But we're talking about more than just a day off from work. We're talking about intentional, faithful, Godward replenishment of body and soul. To reinvigorate ourselves. It includes worship on Sunday, spiritual renewal. It also includes restorative physical and mental activity. Maybe for you it's like going for a run. Not for me. That would not be it for me. Or curling up with a good book. Or laughing with good friends. Or skipping rocks with my kids at Rock Creek Park like I experienced yesterday. Lots of fun in the outdoors. I laughed earlier about running not really being for me, and I mean that. But do you know what works for you? It, it takes paying attention. Do you know what Sabbath, what rest looks like for you in the way that you're wired, given your passions and loves and your personality and your needs? You need to become a student of rest 
to learn what works for you? Are you paying attention? Do you care about it enough to diligently learn how to rest? And we need not just Sabbath days, but Sabbath hours each day. A time to disconnect and recharge. And not just Sabbath hours and Sabbath days, but Sabbath weeks or series of days, which is what we call vacation. And what we need is not just one-off moments of rest, but what the Bible presents as regular rhythms of rest. It, just, it needs to be weaved into the fabric of life. Having this chance to fill your tank and then spending yourself on your work again and your responsibilities and then recharging again and then expending yourself again and having this back and forth flow and rhythm of work and rest, of responsibility and renewal, of expending and spending yourself and then recharging and refilling. Is this what your life looks like? This is what God calls us to. And we find that we actually then work better when we rest like this. You know, the business world is starting to recognize this. Just a few days ago, I noticed in the Washington Post a little article, a little column that was entitled, Stop Touting the Crazy Hours You Work. A little article about creating workplaces in which it's permissible to rest. Actually, in that article, it, it mentions Aetna, the insurance company. And maybe you know this, but the way it's actually recently decided to pay its workers to sleep. In fact, if you get at least seven hours of sleep for 20 nights, the company gives you $25 a night up to $500 a year. Who wants to go work for Aetna, right? And of course, what they have in mind is that that's actually going to make their workers more productive, and that's valuable. We want to be effective people. But you see, as far as the Bible is concerned, this idea of rest isn't just for work productivity, it's for the recovery of humanity. It's not just for productivity, it's to restore your lost humanity. The goal, friends, is wholeness. Because if you're not living with a rhythm of rest, you are not living a human and a whole life. By commanding us to stop, God is actually rescuing us from a grossly imbalanced life. And he's teaching us how to be more human. And how do we know this? Because there was no more human person than the truest of all humans to ever walk this earth. And his name was Jesus. And he always diligently and faithfully practiced Sabbath rest. Marva Dawn, a professor and author, so helpfully has written a book on this topic called Keeping the Sabbath Holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y. Here's a little quote from one thing that she says summarizing a number of chapters that she's written. Sabbath ceasing means to cease, not only from work itself, but also from the need to accomplish and be productive, from the worry and tension that accompanies modern criteria of efficiency, from our efforts to be in control of our lives as if we were God, from our possessiveness and our enculturation, and finally, from the humdrum and meaninglessness that results when life is pursued without the Lord at the center of it all. It touches on every part of life, doesn't it? If we do this rightly, 
Sabbath is a way of saying, I insist, I demand on being a person, not a machine, not an object, not just a worker, but a father, a mother, a friend, a neighbor, a human being, a child of God, a laugher, a player, not a player, a player, <laughs> whole. You see, rightly understood, Sabbath is a form of protest against life as it too often is. The grotesqueness of busyness constantly threatening and undermining your health and humanity. The anti-Sabbath life that we so often find in a city like Washington, D.C. Sabbath is protest. I'm not a slave to my work. Sabbath is protest. I am one created in the image of God. Sabbath is protest. I insist, I demand to stop. Because this is what God commands of you, gifts of you. Speaking of protest, there are, of course, objections. That might come to mind, and maybe you're already scrolling through them in your own head. We'll take a look at a few of those objections to rest. First of all, here's one. I can't afford to rest. Can't do it. Have you seen my life? Some of you mean that literally. Literally, I cannot afford it because you're economically stressed. Juggling multiple jobs, maybe, to make ends meet. Even approaching some of your responsibilities really as a duty before God, taking care of family or different needs that you have. Yeah. Or maybe you're in the middle of really demanding relationships, really pressing emotional needs that your family or friends are going through right now. Maybe you feel, I can't afford rest. Trust me, we are expecting our third child tomorrow. We're getting thrust right back into newborn baby mode. I feel like I'm regressing. Here, you know, life is going to be full. It already is. It's going to get fuller. Every situation requires wisdom. And so I don't dare to try to speak to every detail of what you're going through from up here. But if you are feeling like, I can't afford to rest, I can't do it. Do you, have you seen my calendar? Have you seen my finances? Have you seen my life? And you feel stuck in that. I, let me dare to drop in. This one principle, this one theme that we find throughout Scripture, and it's, it's this, this much we can say, it takes a ton of faith to rest. Not just time management, though it takes some of that. Not just willpower, sometimes it takes a lot of that to stop. It takes faith to stop. Stopping, resting requires trusting, specifically what I mean is trusting that God is in control. Because you'll never be willing to take your hands off the steering wheel unless you really believe that someone else has got his hands on it instead. Exodus 14, as the Israelites faced the Red Sea and were turning around and looking at Pharaoh and his armies coming after them and then looking at this massive body of water in front of them and not knowing what to do. Wonderful word of promise that Moses 
gave the people a promise, I think, that can help us here. He said, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. So how can you be still? How can you stop? It's when you know that God is actually working all things in your life together for your good. It's when you know that he is actually taking care of the people that you feel so responsible for that you can actually step back a little bit. For me, when I was away in the month of April, I meant really actively needing to trust that God loved this church more than I did, that God could do a better job of caring for you all than I could anyway. Went away for a couple of weeks, came back, and you were great. <laughs> Doing great, in some ways better. As Marva Dawn also writes in that same book, a great benefit of Sabbath keeping is that we learn to let God take care of us. Not by becoming passive and lazy, but in the freedom of giving up our feeble attempts to be God in our own lives. Sometimes we don't stop, we don't rest because we are scared. Sometimes our restlessness in fact, is a form of arrogance. I want to be gentle in saying it that way, but this is what it is at the heart. I'm the only one that can take care of this and them. I'm the only one, including God. Rest takes faith. Rest, rest takes trust. Rest takes confidence that God is in control. Second objection that often comes up, rest seems so selfish. Just, I mean, there's so many needs, so many people, so many things. It just seems so selfish to sort of unhook and then take care of myself. In fact, it's not selfish to rest. In fact, it is, sometimes it's the lack of rest and the lack of self-care and the lack of Sabbath that can be selfish. A book that I was reading recently helpfully offered up this analogy of the work of a firefighter who really needs to be pretty well equipped and alert and filled in order to do his or her job effectively. That, that, that individual needs to be able to take care of others, but to take care of others, they need to be well taken care of themselves. In fact, in that book, they quoted from a pastor who also is a volunteer firefighter, and this is what was written. Obviously, you have to push yourself physically when fighting a fire. It's a stretching experience that is uncomfortable and physically difficult. It's foolish to ignore your limitations, to try to be the hero and cramp up, pass out, or have a heart attack while in a burning structure. It's a form of heroic suicide that's counterproductive because you're now no longer effective in fighting fire and the resources that we're dedicating to the firefighting are now dedicated to saving you. You see, because sometimes, especially in Christian ministry, but also just in life in a very broken world, those who have the widest open hearts wanting to serve and extend themselves, especially to those in pain and suffering, need to understand that there's a difference between sacrifice and foolish heroism. 
that the goal that the Bible calls us to in following Jesus, yes, in laying down our lives, yes, in giving ourselves over in sacrificial love to one another, the goal, however, is sustainable sacrifice. To live a whole life of giving, not just a flare-up of a moment or a month or a couple of years. To be able to be generous again and again and again, to give of yourself again and again, and you can't give what you don't got. You can't put out what you haven't taken in. The Christian calling is to sacrifice, but it's sustainable sacrifice, the sort of self-giving living that God enables us to go on giving day after day after day. And you can only do that if you've prioritized rest. Rest, of course, can be used selfishly, which is what this passage, in fact, is really getting at. You see, the Pharisees had constructed a series of laws and traditions that regulated the practice of Sabbath. I think, of course, they had their best intentions in mind as they sort of put out different laws and sub-laws and rules and standards for how Sabbath ought to be conducted. And so when they see the disciples out in the fields, according to their traditions, well, you couldn't touch anything, you couldn't pick grain, you couldn't crumble it in your hands, because all of that would constitute work, this much work. So to feed your stomachs when you're hungry would be a violation of the Sabbath. Or a person with a shriveled, disabled hand, for Jesus to reach out and heal that individual, they said, would be a violation of Sabbath rest. And Jesus is battling with them, and he is arguing with them, using scripture and justifying his views, his position, his lordship over the Sabbath. And the way that he corrects them is this. He essentially tells them that Sabbath is not living according to the law, don't lift a finger. Sabbath still is a law of love. Which is why in verse 7, Jesus says, you got to go figure this out. I desire mercy, not just ceremonial sacrifice, not just outward religious adherence to the Sabbath practices. Mercy, relieving people's suffering. That's what God desires of you, even in your rest. Or in verse 12, where Jesus says, it is right to do good on the Sabbath, to care for people, to heal to restore another person, especially in their deep need, in their suffering, in their trial. In other words, this is what Jesus is saying. You know what Sabbath is good for? Not only providing Sabbath for yourself, but providing Sabbath for others too. To love each other, not just by gaining rest, but by giving rest to those who most need it. You see, what he's saying is that we, we cannot make rest ultimate where every other obligation in life bows to my need for rest in a way that makes it essentially a self-centered enterprise. Hey, don't obligate me ever to love people. I'm resting. Get out of my face, away. No needs around me. I'm resting. Jesus says, no, your rest is for you, but your rest is also for others. Rest is not inherently self-centered, but it can be. And Jesus is calling to a different vision of rest that supplies for ourselves and through us also supplies for others. 
third objection, and finally, we often feel like, hey, I'm not going to try it, or I did try it, but it didn't work. Rest doesn't work. I think sometimes it's because we try to just squeeze in a little bit of Sabbath here and there, squeeze in a little bit of rest. Or we live an exhausting life, and we just try to throw ourselves out there on vacation or into a pillow, and we say, hey, hey it didn't really work. So I wasn't surprised, for example, that after we came back from being away in April, I knew enough about some of this stuff to know not to expect that just being away in and of itself was going to solve everything. And it didn't. There was a lot more work to do. Sometimes we do need to take those urgent moments of Band-Aid rest and recovery, as I was so grateful for able, to be able to gain, to get a huge gift in some ways, a chance-of-a-lifetime type of a gift. But in the normal warp and woof of life, what we need to do is not just squeeze in Sabbath, but rather prioritize Sabbath. What would it look like for us to sort of rearrange our whole lives around this commitment to rest? Which is how Scripture generally tends to lay out the priority of rest in our lives. Six days of work, one day of Sabbath, but where you actually are not working for the rest that you get at the end of the week, but rather you emerge out of your rest into your work. Full-hearted, now jumping into the various callings and responsibilities that God's put you to, and then only to return to be replenished again, to go back out there again. What if, what would change if we built our days around periods of rest? rather than the other way around? What would change if we built our weeks around Sabbath rather than the other way around? But sometimes it, quote unquote, doesn't work because our greatest need isn't just a day off or a week off, sometimes it's much deeper. As I said, as I knew and suspected at the end of my time in April, what if what you need is the deep rest of the gospel in the inner recesses of your soul, of your heart, of your mind? Which is precisely what the Pharisees in this passage lacked. Which is why they were so enslaved to this legalistic Sabbath system. You say legalistic how? Well, you may not know that in the ancient code that they abided by, a person could write a two-letter word in Hebrew on the Sabbath, but you could not write a three-lettered word because that would then cross the line and make your writing work. Or no one could actually travel any more than 1,100 paces. That was the line that you could draw. You could, you, you, you could walk 1,100 paces, 1,101, and you'd be in violation of the law. Or that it was illegal to spit on the ground on the Sabbath, according to the Pharisees' tradition, because if moisture, if that spit dents the soil, then you have effectively plowed the ground. And so you start to see the ways in which these different rules and strictures begin to box in our lives, where in fact we can learn from the example of the Pharisees that if you're still in your heart trying to prove your righteousness, if you're still trying to secure your holiness, if you're trying to earn your acceptance before God, even your practice of rest will become a chore. Even that becomes work. 
Even your rest will become tiring to you. It will be something you enter into begrudgingly. And how many of us have experienced that? Oh, I guess I have to stop. I guess I have to rest. Whatever it is. Verse 14, the Pharisees went out, we're told, and plotted how they might kill Jesus. And they did. And as he hung on the cross after hours of suffering, Jesus would cry out, it is finished. And what was he saying while there on the cross? He was announcing that he had fully paid for all of our sins. He finished the work of atonement. Jesus finished the work so you can rest. Jesus finished the work of earning your acceptance, what the Bible calls your justification before God, God declaring you to be righteous. Jesus finished the work so that you can rest. Jesus finished the work of finding your seat around the table of the Heavenly Father that you would be counted as a child, a son or a daughter in the royal family of God so that you wouldn't constantly have to prove your worth to that end, but rather that it would be given to you as a gift. You're part of the family. Jesus finished the work of earning your place in God's family. He finished the work so you can rest. Jesus worked for your salvation so that you can enter into his eternal rest. What saves you in God's sight isn't what you have done, but what he did. Not your work, but his work. And the gift that he gives you in exchange is rest. You see, friends, because some of us, some of you, are really exhausted at a deeper level. Tired out. Yet your bodies and your minds are worn out, but there's a deeper place. Where you're, where you're living anxiously with noisy hearts, frenetic hearts. And the good news of God's grace, the good news of the Lord of the Sabbath, is that he offers to you a deeper kind of rest that's found in the cross and resurrection of Jesus. It's rest from feeling like you always have to prove yourself. Rest from that stress and pressure of feeling like you can't fail. Rest from keeping up appearances. Rest from earning your parents' approval. Rest from proving you're not a loser. Rest from trying to beautify yourself and make sure that you're keeping attractive in the eyes of those around you. Rest from using your work or using your relationships, or even using your house errands to feel significant, or lovely, or worthy. This is the rest of the gospel of grace that's given to you in Christ. Do you have that rest? Do you want more of that rest? Will you rest in that rest? This is good news, friends. This is the, the, the deeper Sabbath of the soul that Jesus promises, that he offers. Dearly beloved, rest well, work well, and then rest well again. Receive the gift that your Savior has given to you. Let's pray. Jesus, we need your wisdom. We need your spirit. We need your rest. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together. And let's sing.